Welcome to the OKC Community Podcast. We are so glad you're here. To get the latest updates or to watch this week's message, visit our website at okccommunitychurch.com. Well, hi, everybody. All right. Well, it's good to be with you today. I want to begin... I want to begin with a question today that I want you to talk with your neighbor about. And here's the question. I'll put it on screen. What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Now, before you answer, I'll say this. I know that for some of us, this is a pretty simple question. We have a lot to say about Jesus. But for others, this is kind of a difficult question. Like, we don't really know what we think about when we think about Jesus. We might get a picture in our head of Jesus in those old paintings where he's, you know, sad looking and has beautiful hair. But nonetheless, right? Or we might be thinking, I've heard a lot of stories about Jesus. I wonder if they're true. There's no right answer to this. It could be fun. It could be silly. It could be meaningful. It could be questions, whatever. I just, here's the thing. We're in church today, right? We're here. We might as well talk about Jesus. You may be here because you want to be here. You may be here because your girlfriend told you to meet you at church. I don't know, but you're here. So we might as, talk, might as well talk about Jesus. All right. So here's what I want you to do. Turn to your neighbor next to you. What comes to mind? What do you think about when you think about Jesus? Again, no wrong answers. I'm going to give you just a little bit. Talk to your neighbor, just one person, one-on-one. Go, go. If you're, if you're online, think about it. Get an answer for yourself. few more seconds. Make sure you get your answers out. I need some response in a moment. All right. So what do you, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? I actually want to hear a few answers. You can just, you can just shout them out to me. What, what was that one? Black Jesus. Okay. Possible. Anybody else? Friend. Huh? Easter, that's what you think about? All right, anybody else? Provider. Provider. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. My father. His life. life. Savior. Savior. What? Eternal. Eternal. He saved my life. life. Love. Love. This is good. What? Cross. Cross. Healer. Healer. Messiah. Messiah. Kindness. Kindness. (laughs) This is good, right? How many of you know that Jesus is good? Here's the thing. So many good things to think about when you think about Jesus. And here's what I know. I know for me, there's a lot of, there's history, right, in the way that I talk about God. At one point in my life, I had the ability to talk about God and sort of this big conceptual sort of thought about God, but it was difficult for me to talk about Jesus. There was something different about the name of Jesus. There was something that was a little more weighty. There was something that seemed a little more powerful and intimate. And so talking about God might've been a little more possible, but talking about Jesus felt a little more personal. Are you with me? And, and there's, I think that's an interesting thing about the name of Jesus. So I want to talk about Jesus today, but I also want to talk about your life. I want to talk about your life, which in my mind, those two things are synonymous, right? So I want to talk about your life. Let me ask a question. How many of you in the room are alive? Raise your hand. You're alive. 
Okay, good. A lot of you know that you're live. Apparently some of you aren't quite sure. You're somewhere in between. I don't know. I kind of agree. But, but that means what we're going to talk about today is relevant to you because we're going to talk about your life. And if you're alive, well, it's a relevant subject to who you are. Are you all with me today? Are you all ready to go with where God's going to go today? So what do you think about when you think about Jesus? And what do you think about when you think about life? A few months ago, I was traveling. We were at the airport and we needed to get to our hotel, which was downtown. And there was a few different ground transportation options for us. We could, we were in a big city, so we could have taken, uh, we could have taken the train, a subway, subway would have led us there. We could have gotten an Uber or we could take a taxi. And where we were standing in the lobby is we could see the line of taxis out there. It was pretty simple. We just go out, get in a taxi and go. But then I thought, well, where's the trains? And so we were looking around and I was like, I saw signs. It looked like it was a long ways. And I wasn't sure if we wanted to drag all of our luggage on a subway. And I didn't know where to get the tickets. It was a little complicated. And then the Uber cars, they were somewhere else. I wasn't quite sure where they were located on a different level, a different area. But so right then in that moment, just made the, we made the convenient decision to go get in a taxi because it was right there, which makes sense. Now, if you've ever taken a taxi, this won't surprise you. But by the time I got to the hotel, we paid $100 for that taxi ride. Hindsight's 2020, right? Like the train would have taken me, would have cost me about 15 bucks. The Uber would have only cost me about 60, but the taxi was most convenient, but it was also the most costly. How many know that convenience can cost us in our lives? Are you all with me? I want to talk about that a little bit today because we're talking about your life. We're in week 10 of this series called There's More. And the title of today's message is More Jesus in a Culture of Convenience. More Jesus in a Culture of Convenience. And some of you might already be feeling like, okay, this might have some relevance to my life. So let's talk about the word convenience for just a second. Convenience defined like this. Convenience is the state of being able to proceed with something with little effort or difficulty. It's anything that saves or simplifies work, adds to one's ease or comfort, as in an appliance, a utensil, or the like. So forks make life easier, right? They're more convenient. The word convenience is an interesting word because it's desirable and deplorable all at the same time. And you're like, what do you mean? Well, there are some things in this world that are intended to be convenient. They should be convenient. We want them to be convenient. But there are other things in this world that should not be convenient. There are th some things in this world that we should not apply convenience filters to. Now, gas stations, yes, we want those to be convenient. I need lots of gas pumps. I don't want to have to wait. I want lots of shade. I want to be able to go get me a 79 cent Big Gulp if I want it, if I so choose to, right? I want that convenient. Y'all with me? Right? I mean, there are some things that I want to be convenient. I want my coffee to be convenient. I don't want to have to grow my own coffee beans. I don't want to roast them. I don't want to grind them. I want to push a button. I want to buy a cup. That's all I want to do. Right? I don't need my banking to be complicated. I want it to be simple. I want it to be right here on my little phone. I want to be able to manage my money just like that. I don't want to have to drive all the way down the street to my local branch. That's inconvenient, even though it's only like a quarter of a mile from my house. But there are some things, right? that should be inconvenient. I'm grateful for convenience. It's a good thing in many ways, but there are some things that are designed to not go through that mindset. 
a marriage. <laughs> That'll happen. That little cry, right? Don't, don't marry whoever's convenient. Doesn't go well. So if that person is convenient, you might just look elsewhere. Parenting, good parents don't, ma- don't parent out of convenience, right? They parent out of good love, which means not only quality time, but quantity time. There's nothing convenient about that. There's even some of us who want to be really inconvenienced by the experience of something like growing our own garden, right? We want to, we want to experience the fruit of our labor, so to speak. So we, we enter into tending the garden because we enjoy it. We know that the inconvenience of that is actually rewarding. Your faith in the best parts of your life, it's one of those categories in which convenience should never be the mindset from which we operate from. Prayer isn't supposed to be convenient. Going to church, being a part of the church, being the church isn't supposed to be convenient, even though we apply convenient measures to it. A small group or community, it's not intended to be convenient. Serving, it's not intended to be convenient. Loving our neighbors, it shouldn't be a convenient thing. Yet those things are controlled often by convenience levers. I want to read a quote from the, from the article of the, out of the New York Times called The Tyranny of Convenience. Because I don't know if we really know the power this has over our lives. It says this, convenience is the most underestimated and least understood force in the world today. In developed nations of the 21st century, convenience has emerged as perhaps the most powerful force shaping our individual lives and our economies. This is particularly true in America, where despite all of our freedoms and individuality, one sometimes wonders whether convenience is in fact the supreme value. As Evan Williams, co-founder of Twitter, put it, convenience decides everything. You can tweet that. Convenience seems to make our decisions for us, trumping what we like to imagine are our true preferences. We hardly ever do what we prefer because easy is better, easiest is best. Now, for clarity's sake, I'm not suggesting that convenience is a force of evil. In fact, convenience can be a very good thing, allowing us to do possibilities that once at one time felt unimaginable and incomprehensible incomprehensible, and yet here we are today seeing things happen that serve the vulnerable and serve people in need and out of convenience, right? Those things are great. I'm simply shedding light on the fact that we shouldn't make our life choices through the filter of convenience because sometimes that will cost us dearly. Convenience has a dark side. With all of its promise and with all of its good, it threatens the sort of struggle and the sort of decisions that we can make in life that give us meaning, not only for our our purpose, but most essentially in our faith. So life with Jesus is a different mindset. Life to the full is not found in shortcuts. It's not found in reducing commitment. It's not found in making it easier on ourselves. Believe it or not, it's actually in some ways quite the opposite. It's found in elevating the expectations of ourselves. It's found in increasing our love, if you will. It's found in serving at higher capacities. It's found in expanding our generosity. You see, culture is choosing convenience. Make your life easier. 
you do you, reduce commitments, no strings attached, right? Even our church, not us as in our church, although I'm sure we do it, even the church, Christian culture is leaning all the way into measures of convenience. Our team was talking about this the other day, and we were talking about community and spiritual friendships and how it's becoming more and more of a convenience-based mindset these days. If it's not convenient, we cut it. Meeting with other believers to not only grow spiritually and to be encouraged and to pray is an essential part of what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. But for a lot of us, it's not something that we prioritize because it's inconvenient. We put it through the filter of convenience. So we, put it, we go to a Bible study, let's just say that, or we go to a small group. And if it's not amazing in the first two or three weeks, we quit. We cut it because we want it to be amazing as fast as possible or it's not worth it. And so what happens is we think that we should be really good at something or we should experience something all, you know, full tilt as fast as possible. That's like going to try to learn how to play guitar. And after two or three lessons, if you're not amazing, you quit. We all know that that's not possible, that it takes time to become great. It takes time to, be, to, to really learn how to play. It takes a lot of sore fingers and really bad sounding songs before it becomes something beautiful and something that you enjoy and something that you're good at. We have to make more room for Jesus because when we do that, he makes more of us. When we make more of Jesus, he makes more of us. Yet, we keep putting Jesus through the convenience filter. We make less of Jesus, which makes less of us. So what do you think of when you think of Jesus? That's where we started, right? And you guys said forgiveness. You guys said cross. You said healer. You said all these amazing things. And what I would say is that Jesus is worth more than a convenient mindset. So I want to go to Philippians chapter 2. Last week I taught from Philippians chapter 1 and chapter 4. And I thought, well, let's just stay in Philippians. But this week we'll mix it up and go to chapter 2. Right? Last, I mentioned last week that this, this letter is probably the most encouraging book of the Bible. So as a reminder, Paul writes this letter while he's in prison to, this, to, this, to the church in the city of Philippi. And uh, he loves this church and he's encouraging them to stay strong as they face challenges and opposition to the faith. In chapter 2, we find this moment in the scripture where, where Paul answers the question, what do you think about when you think about Jesus? He's answering this question. Philippians 2, starting in verse 1. You all ready to jump into the Bible today? You want to read the Bible? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, he's like, if you have any of those things, he's saying, if you've ever been encouraged by Christ or if you've ever had something in common with the spirit, he's trying to say, if that's you, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you if you've ever had that. He says, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Everyone say like-minded. like-minded. Everyone say it one more time, like-minded. like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Everyone say one mind. one mind. Paul is talking about the mind here. He's talking about what is your mindset, right? He's saying we need to be like-minded, which, you know, the... The critic might say, well, does that mean we're all supposed to be the same? That we're all supposed to look the same? Should all Christians, people who follow Jesus, should the church, should they all look the same? Should they all be the same? Should they believe the same? Should they, should they do the same things? 
Look, Paul is not talking about uniformity here. He's talking about unity, which are two very different things, right? We don't need to be uniformed, but we do need to be in unity. It's why you can have all different shades of colors when it comes to the church. You can have all different types of churches because we can be in unity around Jesus of one spirit and one mind, but we do not, we do not have to be uniformed. Are you all with me? Yeah. You all agree with that? Yeah, some of you are like, Tim, that was a really good point. I know. I know it was. It was a really good point. But I didn't say it right here in the Bible, right? So he goes on in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do you catch that? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. We'll talk about that. But each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Everyone say same mindset. Now, some of us read this and we're like, whoa, that's really hard. Serve other people, put others before me. Don't be selfish, be humble, have the same mindset as Christ. That's hard. Others of us read it, we don't even think twice about it. Like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I got this. I mean, I have the spiritual gift of humility. It should go pretty well. And so we read this and we're not even impacted by it. This should impact us, shouldn't it? This is, a, this is a significant verse for our culture because it smacks individualism in the face and it also smacks convenience in the face. Remember, we are statistically the most individualistic nation in the entire world. I remind us of that often because it is so critical to the lives that we are living. We worship individuals. We worship at the feet of athletes, entertainers, politicians, thinkers, whatever it is. We love to worship at the feet of talent, beauty, success, and money. And you know what? There is something beautiful about celebrating a person or celebrating one another or even, or even acknowledging innovation or success. Those are fine things, but there is a dark side to individualism. It becomes a world in which it is destined for self-centeredness. And here's the thing. Paul says, don't look to your own interests. Self-centeredness, right? Self-centeredness becomes a form of bondage. Everything in our life starts to become about self. For some people, and maybe you know someone, because certainly this couldn't be you, for some people, every relationship becomes about me. Do you know that person? We think about how does this relationship make me feel? Do I like it? Is it worth it? Does this person help me in my job? If not, I don't need them. Have, why hasn't that person called me back yet? Why haven't they called me lately? You guys remember that phone can go either way. You can call them. And if you're like, no, 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 no. I called them last. They better call me or you know what I'm saying? We, like, it's their responsibility to call me. For some people, everything about our time becomes self-centered. I don't have time for them or for that because I'm really, really busy. People don't understand how busy I am. I have so much on my plate. I have a lot to do. I have a lot of things that I, that I have to do first. And so we prioritize ourselves instead of the interest of others. What is most convenient for me? Our conversations become about self. We aren't listening in conversation as much as we are positioning. 
in conversation? When can I get my two cents in? Why aren't they listening to me? How can I be the center of this? How can I make the joke that everyone likes, that everybody laughs at, right? So conversations become about positioning versus listening. Self-centeredness. I'll give you another example of our fight against individualism that we do right here every week in our church. Every week we close our service by inviting people to come and pray with other people. Do you understand how countercultural that is? Like you're like, well, a lot of churches do that. I'm like, yeah, probably. But it's a countercultural part of the church. Because here's the thing. Everything in our culture is leading towards faith in Jesus being an individual pursuit that you go and pray and you pull up your Jesus bootstraps on your own every day and the chips fall where they may. You're supposed to go do it on your own. But you know, every week when we say, no, you don't have to do it on your own. This is not survival of the fittest. This is not every man for himself. This is, this is we do hard things together. We do things together. We pursue God together. We pray together. Right? Mm. So again, back to this verse, Paul writes in verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Nothing out of selfish ambition is very hard in a culture that loves to take selfies. (laughs) Dude, I mean, I was literally on vacation. It's like no one, we just take selfies. That's what we do, right? And here's the deal. Nothing, not condemning selfies. But man, social media is the culmination of a, of a me-centered, look-at-me culture, is it not? Think about these words that Paul writes. In humility, value others above yourselves. How many know that valuing others above yourselves is inconvenient? You know, recently, something that's been going on in our church makes me so happy that's happening is so many people of our church have been serving uh, at City Care in the last couple months. I have a few photos here from this Love Your City project that we've been doing. We've had a couple different groups of people, 20, 30 people go out to the City Care night shelter and, and put together meals and serve a meal and host these people that are in deep need in our city and just and host them. And here's what I think is so great about it. I mean, thank you for those of you going and doing this. I look forward to going and doing it soon. Here's, here's the thing I love about it, though, is I know it's not convenient. And I also know that you didn't go to serve yourself, right? And here's what's really cool about that. It's what's so life-giving about when you do something out of humility is it not only gives life to those that are being served, but it gives life to those who are serving. Is whenever we do something in humility, it is the mindset of Christ, which is full of life. Obviously, valuing others above ourselves goes beyond opportunities like Love Your City. It, it extends into everything we do in life. It extends into how we love our neighbors, how we value our coworkers or, or our friends and serve them. How do we meet needs of people? How do, we, how do we regard the poor, right? How do we regard the refugees, the forgotten people? How, you see, we said this already this series, but we must be doers of justice in a culture of inequity. We must be those kind of people. We must love people from different ethnicities, right? Different backgrounds. In fact, we want to fuel that in our church. We want to be a church that embodies a, a, 
this, this picture of the kingdom and this picture of heaven where this room is full of people that look different, right? And here's, how many of you guys know that that kind of love, that kind of effort, that kind of hope is inconvenient sometimes? It's something that takes effort that goes beyond the norm. It is not the easy thing to do. It's not the thing that just makes, uh, that, that we do just out of not only convenience, but it's not, the, it's not the thing that we do that feels comfortable all the time. Here's the thing, valuing others above ourselves will end up inconvenient, but it's always full of life. We wanna be a church that does this well. We wanna be a church that's full of inconvenience. (laughs) Are you guys okay with that? I want you to think about that. To be a church full of inconvenience, I wonder how many times we've, there's been an opportunity that just doesn't feel very convenient. So this simple question today, what do you think of when you think of Jesus? I hope you think of what Christ thinks of. Humility, love, sacrifice for anyone and everyone, anytime. Now in verse 5, Paul begins to illuminate the mindset of Christ Jesus. He says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. We've heard this passage. It's powerful. It's this beautiful picture of the mindset of Christ and what he did for us. Jesus was in heaven as part of the triune nature of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. He's there. He didn't use his power and authority for his own advantage. Instead, he emptied himself of everything that he had. Do you understand that he emptied himself of his glory? Do you understand how stunning that is, how amazing that is? He emptied him, and he didn't have to do this, did he? He could have just decided, you know what, the right thing to do, the easy thing to do, the convenient thing to do, because I have all the power, I have all the glory. You know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to make them all obey me. I'm going to send my angel armies. I'm going to send my force, and I'm going to command obedience from these people that are crooked and depraved. And I'm going to command obedience. He could have commanded us to get on our knees, but he didn't, because he doesn't command us to do things. He gives us opportunities to want things. And here's the thing. He's like, do you want me? God could have unleashed his power and his might, his trumpets, his angels. They could have shaked the ground kind of stuff. He could have taken over in this world. In fact, that would have been the easier thing for him to do. Instead, he emptied himself. He poured it all out. He rid himself of his glory for you and me. Do you understand how crazy this is? The God of heaven, the king of heaven, he came down and he put on the clothes of humanity. He moved into the neighborhood and he wooed us with his love. That's what he did because he wanted to. Paul says that we must have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So let's think about this. How do we have the same mindset as Christ Because his whole act of coming down and doing all this was predicated by this one word, humility. Scott gave it a great message a few weeks ago on humility. I want you to think about it, though. Humility is not this picture of the self-depreciating, weak outlook on life where everybody matters more than you and you become the doormat that everyone walks on. That's not what humility is. Humility is actually becoming more like Jesus. And you know who Jesus was? Jesus was powerful. Jesus was a revolutionary. Jesus was no one's doormat, yet he never hesitated to carry someone's mat. He never hesitated to serve another person. That's humility. 
It was actually in that humility that God raised him up to the highest place. He went as low as he could go, and God lifted him up as high as he could go. Check this out in verse 9. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. Therefore, because of his humility, because of what Christ did, therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can I get an amen? amen. I mean, that verse, it gets me every time. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Whoa. When I think about that picture of every knee bowing, it is the epitome of humility, isn't it? To bow in the presence. But for some of us, that idea of bowing before the Lord, it's unfamiliar territory. It's something that feels almost silly or strange or weird or uber spiritual and can I just say if that's that's pride right that's self-centeredness for some of us maybe it's not that maybe it's just unfamiliar because it's it's unfamiliar because it's just it's new to us and we're afraid to do new things we're afraid to step out and do something that might put us on the line a little bit, might actually say what we say about Jesus is true in our life. So we stop short. You see, selfishness, whatever is easier and whatever is more convenient, that's the typical mindset most of us live with. That's why it's one of the most powerful forces this world knows, but we don't even realize it. Convenience decides everything. But the church I see is full of people who genuinely humble themselves before Jesus unashamedly. The church that I see that I want to be wants to bow our knees anywhere, anytime. The church I see wants to embrace a faith that is full of great expectations of ourselves with prayers that really never stop. The church that I see wants to do the good, hard work of faith in a world that dismisses the ways of God. You see, I don't want any of us to stop short, yet I am convinced that so many of us are stopping short. We are more concerned with who we are than who He is. We are more concerned with what people think of us versus what God thinks of us. In a few weeks, we're getting into that season where as a church, we're going to invite you to all sorts of things. We're going to like, well, we got groups going. We got Alpha going. We got serving happening. We got, we got all this stuff we try and launch in August every year. And I'm just telling you, that's not everything what it is to, to, to love Jesus. But I do know this. That's one of the places that convenience will rush in and tell you to stop short. It'll say, you know what? You can't do it. You can't put it into your life. You can't do these things with extra commitments. And I'm saying that's not even what this is about, but I'm saying that's one example where it's time to quit stopping short. And it's to start saying, I want to make more of Jesus in my life. Because I know when I make more of Jesus, he'll make more of me. 
we got to start taking on the mindset of Christ Jesus instead of the mindset of convenience. Your relationship with God was never intended to be convenient. And on the flip side, I want you to hear today, it was never intended to be hard either or difficult or heavy or burdensome. Jesus comes to lift that stuff up. But here's what you need to know. It's intended to give life because it is a way of life, not a part of life. It's a way of life, not a part of life. This church, I'm more fired up than you know right now, by the way. This church is about stirring up the sleeping giant within us. Because I believe God has more for you and more for me than we can imagine. Behind the you that you imagine, there's a better you that God has in store for you. God wants to take you to places you've never been. And here's what I know, that God has created this church for more. What if this church became a place and a body of believers that God uses to awaken gigantic faith that steps out of being faith in a seat and it starts becoming faith in the streets where we go and we aren't taking on convenient measures, but we're saying, Jesus, I'm willing to go wherever for whatever cause you call me to. What if we were that kind of church? What if you were that kind of person? This is why this is about your life. Why am I saying on this? I don't know, because God has been like this kind of speaking to me lately. But this church, what we're doing, it's bigger than all of us. That God has his hand on us. He has his purpose on us. And, and I believe this is not the typical go and do better mindset. This isn't go climb the next ladder of success. We have enough of those in our life. This isn't go be a successful Christian. This is be a humble Christian that loves the Lord your God Jesus with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Don't take shortcuts. Don't slide him. Don't do the easy thing for you, but do the right thing with him. So today is about Jesus and it's about your life. And if you have an inkling in you that, man, God wants more for me. And I would just say to you, then let's go. This season has more for you. Don't stop short. That scripture, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue confess that Jesus is the Lord. Remember at the very beginning I said, Jesus has a different sort of weight to it different sort of power and intimacy. And I know in this room, we have people who say they love Jesus. We have Christians in here. We have people who probably are agnostic in this room. Maybe we have people who don't even believe all the stuff we're talking about today. Maybe we have people who, yeah, I've been around God. I've been around Jesus. I've been around church people, but I still haven't quite figured it out yet. I'm a little bit lost in the whole God thing. And I just, I haven't quite admitted it out loud, but I'm here and I'm present, but I really don't even know what I'm doing. We have we have everywhere from been a Christian for years, followed Jesus for years, to figuring it out, to I don't think I believe all this, and everywhere in between. But this verse says that at the name of Jesus, everyone, all people will bow their knees and confess that he is Lord. Do you realize that that means someday the good work that he started, he's gonna carry it on to completion someday Every one of us, no matter what you think right now about Jesus, we will be bowing our knees and confessing that he is Lord. And here's what I would say. Maybe it's time for you to make a little bit more Jesus in your life. Have you confessed these things 
Because when you make more of God, I just, I believe it, he will make more of you. So I want to pray for us. Would you just bow your heads, close your eyes? Holy Spirit, come as we've been praying all morning. Holy Spirit, just come right now. Move in us. We want to rest in you right now in the name of Jesus. I'm going to talk for a minute, but I want you to just listen. Listen. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Just listen. You know, we read in Philippians that Jesus emptied himself of his glory. He would go on to empty himself by dying on a cross for all people. And after he died on a cross, the scriptures, the Bible says that God raised him from the dead. And when he raised him from the dead, all those things that he'd emptied himself of, God began to fill Jesus. He filled him with life abundantly. He was overflowing with life. It's why we now say that Jesus is life. Jesus is the answer to everything. Jesus changes everything about everything. We find eternal life in Jesus. We find all of our life in Jesus because he emptied himself and God filled him up when he was raised back to life with eternal life. And I just want to say today, it works the same for us. If you're not willing to empty yourself, God cannot fill you with life. God wants to pour his love and his goodness into your life. But he says, will you call me Lord? Will you rid yourself of all the other things that you think bring life? Will you surrender to me? Remember, God never makes us do things. He makes us want things. Do you want more of God? Do you want to get right with him. Today, I want to invite you to surrender to him. And it starts with just a simple sentence, but it's a significant moment to be able to say with all of your heart, Jesus, I give you my life. In fact, if you're there, I, I believe God's speaking to people's hearts right now. I've, I feel like he's gripped a hold of a few people's hearts in which you're feeling almost a burning kind of inside of you right now. That's just God's love for you, surrounding you, drawing near to you, calling you to himself. If that's where you're at right now, he, he wants just a relationship with you. And that begins by just saying, I surrender. I surrender to you, Jesus. So you can just say this, say, Jesus, I give you my life. If you're ready to do that, just, just whisper that prayer. Just say, Jesus, I give you my life. You know, we have to confess. We have to confess that we need him. We have to confess that we're nothing without him. And so if you need him right now, you can say, Jesus, I give you my life. Just whisper that to him. Say that prayer. Mean it with everything you got. Jesus, I give you my life. I don't want to make it about me anymore. I don't want to be self-centered anymore. I want you to be Lord of my life. I want to confess my need for you. Jesus, I give you my life. Have you whispered it? Have you said it? If you said that and it's the first time you've ever said it in a minute, I just want to say to you, this moment changes everything. It, it, it's a trajectory for the rest of your life. It sets your future and who you're becoming. And I just want to pray for you. Father, I pray for anybody that just prayed that, that prayer, that, that simple, beautiful thing of Jesus, I give you my life. I just pray for them that, that this moment is planted in good soil. It's, it's going to it's going to take root in their life. It's going to change who they are. 
Lord, I pray, I pray for anybody in this room that's just wrestling with you in a way that they just need more direction, more clarity. Lord, I pray right now, just that simple idea, I wanna make more of Jesus, more of Jesus in my life. Would you sit in us today? Lord, we love you. We thank you. I thank you for the people that prayed that prayer today. I thank you for the work you're doing in our hearts. And Lord, we just trust you for what's ahead. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Hey, I'm going to ask you to go ahead and celebrate God right now because I think some people just prayed that for the first time. It's good. If you just prayed that, if you just prayed that for the first time, we're so thankful for you and we'd love to meet you. Just come talk to one of our prayer team people. Say, I prayed that prayer. I give you my life. Jesus, I give you my life. Why don't you stand with us? I want to say one more thing before we worship. Stand with us. You know, this, this idea, every knee will bow. When we think of Jesus, what do we think of? Well, shouldn't we, I mean, we could sort of think of this moment that imagining every knee bowed under the powerful name of Jesus. Today, as we worship, I just want to encourage you, if you feel compelled to bow in his presence today, have freedom in this room. Pray, bow in your, at your seat right there. Come forward, bow down here in this altar space we created. Our prayer team is going to be here. And like I said earlier, maybe for you, you need, you need to connect with someone today. You need to, you need to have the opportunity to pray with someone today. We have people that are going to be right down here in the front, and then we've created a prayer uh, area in the back corner. You can come pray back there as well. But if you feel compelled to go to your knees today, what a beautiful thing. So Lord, we worship you today. We give you this time. We surrender all. It's in your name we pray. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. If there's anything we can pray with you about, or if you have questions about God, we'd love to talk with you. Please visit our contact page at okccommunitychurch.com.